This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about by John Syracuse. Of course, you know him from his lengthy reviews over at Ars Technica of macOS 10 and all of the macOSs. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is Friday, June 1st, 2012. It's already June. This is episode number 70. We want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors, MailChimp.com, SourceBits.com, and Kayak.com. Good Friday, John. Well, it's not the Good Friday. It's just a Good Friday, right? Just one in a series. You're right. Just one. <laughs> How are you? How's everything going? It's going pretty good. Good. Fantastic. You ready to do a show? Yeah, let's do a show. Why not? You ready? Sure. Do you, you seem I'm, ready. I'm ready. All right. Let's start as we do with some follow-up. Okay past couple of shows I don't remember how we got into this I guess it was from that response time thing that we talked about touchscreen response time and somehow that led us to to talk about the brain and how the brain processes input right the fact that the brain is so much slower at processing the input that there should be no excuse that technology couldn't have a better response time because the brain itself is so slow well we were talking about technology response times and how there's a long way to go there and then but we can fix that but then we've got our own response times which are just as bad if not worse uh, and we can't really fix those as much but we also don't notice them as much uh, so this i found this topic fascinating a couple of people have sent feedback one of the things that i was discussing i think we got on to how uh maybe two shows ago i talked about how we didn't really know how neurons work so we're not very close to reproducing the brain because we haven't even cracked how the fundamental, what we think are the fundamental elements of the brain right. function. And then I did all this uh, covering myself and saying, well, you know, I don't want people writing in telling me, well, we know a whole bunch about how neurons work. Don't say we don't know a lot. And so I tried to clarify saying like, yes, we do know a lot, but I, but there's a lot that we still don't know. So I didn't, I didn't know if I had uh, clarified or just made things worse, but Two people wrote in with p- feedback, both positive. The first is the nth Andrew, whose name I gave up trying to find. That's going to be my new thing. Uh, if I can't find your name in like three minutes, then uh, maybe we get an acronym for that, whose name I gave up trying to find. Uh, <laughs> he is a physicist who studies neurons, and he says, I'm here to tell you that we've barely scratched the surface of how they work. Rest easy. So obviously someone who focuses on the neuron is going to say there's so much uh, yet to know but it's good to see that confirmed. And then Nathan Gowans, who is a former neuro- neurobiologist and who provided his full name, says that he essentially agrees with me. He says, we know a good bit about how individual neurons work, but there's a great deal we do not know. And figuring out how neurons work together is very difficult. Uh, he wrote a nice long email. There's a couple of interesting bits in it that I'll pull out here. Uh, one is that he said, we know a lot about how certain types of neurons work, the ones that are easiest to study experimentally. How many, there are so many type, different types of neurons in the brain with significant different properties, and you cannot take results from one of them and generalize across the rest. Um, and it's even harder when you're trying to figure out how they interact. It's very difficult to study how neurons act under conditions similar to what they experience when the brain that they're in is alive and, and awake. And behaving in natural circumstances, because obviously if you're studying neurons, you're probably hooked up to some big machine. And a lot of the time it was on animals, they're unconscious. And it's, it's not easy to get a view on how they work when, you know, in normal operation. 
Uh, and he says, in, in neurobiology, unfortunately, progress is, is uh, much slower. Uh, he was comparing it to programming languages earlier. In fact, people who study individual neurons or even just parts of individual neurons, those who work close to the metal, to abuse the phrase, are often skeptical of studies that make many simplifying assumptions and try to work at higher level processes like cognition or consciousness. So these are the, these are the people who are close to the metal, as Merlin would say, uh, studying the neurons themselves, and they know how much they don't understand about them. And then they read a study that tries to make broad generalizations about the brain sort of on a macro scale. And they're like, wait a second, we don't even understand how the pieces work. You can't, you know, generalize 20 levels up. Uh, I think that's, that's kind of like researcher bias. I, I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily have to know how the component parts work to come up with a, an incorrect but nevertheless useful model for how things work on the macro scale. And I guess the obvious example of that is like uh, Newtonian laws of physics, which are not really correct, but they're, they're certainly better than nothing, right? You can, you can, they're useful to you. you. It's a useful model that you can apply to many situations and get practical results, even though they're not technically correct. And on the other side, I guess you got like, you know, relativity versus quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics is a model we use to explain stuff that happens when it's very small. And we've got uh, relativity and stuff for the larger stuff was the replacement for Newton's laws that are more accurate. And the two kind of don't mesh very well at this point. Uh, but both models are useful. So even though I think we don't understand the elementary parts of the brain, I think you probably still can get some sort of useful result out of the larger sort of studies of general cognition, even if the model that you're applying is like doesn't actually reflect reality. All, all you care is whether it gives useful results. So thanks to those two scientists for providing some feedback on that. Oh, and here's one more. Howard Grigg. Uh, this is another interesting thing about, about your brain and your body. He says, the circuitry inside your ear that you used to hear is about a bazillion times simpler than the circuitry required in your eyes and your brain for sight. Because of this, your brain receives sounds about 100 milliseconds earlier than it receives vision of the same event. Your brain delays the sounds so that, you hear, that you hear so that they match up with your sight. That's so amazing. This is, this is about like living in the past, right? <laughs> you know. Uh, and then he says, if you remove your sight, then there is evidence that the delay in hearing is diminished. So effectively, we can time travel just by closing our eyes. So if you if you cut off the sight, then the brain says, all right, well, I don't have to delay the sound going, uh, matching up with the vision. So I, you'll get the sound 100 milliseconds earlier. So that kind of argues for if you're ever in one of those quiz test thingies where they're like, you know, hit the button as soon as you hear the sound. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. You get 100 extra, extra 100 milliseconds. I don't know if I'm misreading his, his advice here. Uh, Uh, oh, and here this he he goes off deep and slightly on a topic that I said I would never address, but I'll read what he said here. He says that we are able to start processing responses to these perceived events before we are consciously aware of them. This means by, that by the time you are conscious of making a response, you have already planned and started doing it. Uh, and this brings up the question of whether or not free will exists if decisions are made before we are conscious of them. Yes, I will not touch free will. Not on this show. <laughs> you gotta have free will. Do you? And Danny Tootin says that on the same topic, there's some speculation that deja vu might be the result of seeing something as a purely physical process. Then the high level cognitive handling of the images with some delay creates a sort of second viewing. So you know, deja vu is the feeling that you've seen this thing before. Right. Uh, one of the theories is that if, if you somehow manage to experience the sensory input as as a process before it gets to the higher levels of cognition and then and then your higher levels of cognition kick in 
it seems like didn't I already see this again? Like that that theory kind of makes sense, but also kind of doesn't because how do you get a sense of the quote unquote purely physical process consciously when normally you don't? So I don't know, but it's it's an interesting theory. Do you ever have deja vu yourself? Ever? I do. I have I have like crazy. I it it really freaks me out. And what I, what I do every time I have deja vu is like so you get the feeling that you've seen this thing or you know had the conversation or been in at that intersection with the same you know red jeep driving past or something yeah or usually it's like something someone says and and i'm like didn't i just have this exact same conversation (laughs) about this topic with this person right but but mine is always like long ago like didn't that happen like three years ago and immediately what what i always do and i do this when i'm dreaming too is i say okay so if that's the case predict what they're going to say next Ah, like jump jump ahead and test yourself yeah, because if you really think you saw this before, what's going to happen next? And try to predict it. And that usually <laughs> short circuits in my brain. I try to think he's going to say, no, no, I don't got it. I don't have it. Like if, if I really knew, like you feel like you like this is the beginning of a conversation. I know exactly how this is going to go. And when I'm awake and I do this, uh, the result is I can never predict what's going to happen because it's, you know, I'm I haven't actually experienced this before. So you've convinced that it is not real. It is not a psychic phenomenon. It is simply some kind of brain issue not a what a psychic phenomenon <laughs> yeah you're not actually you know experiencing no, time no, travel I, or anything no, strange. I, I don't believe in magic no okay. uh but no that's that's the thing that i do because i figured that's i don't like the feeling and the way to eliminate the feeling is, is to say okay so what's going to happen next try actually try to figure it out uh and i'm i can never figure out what's going to happen unfortunately when i'm dreaming the opposite happens when i'm dreaming i'm often uh dictating something or writing something or reading a story that I wrote or writing a story that I wrote uh, or reading a story that somebody else wrote. And I would be like, where the hell is this? I'm in the dream. And I'm like, where the hell is this story coming from? Does it make any sense? And and so I said, like, if, if my brain is making this up while I'm dreaming, what if I just start going really fast? Like, is it just unlimited? Will this story keep unfolding in a, in a, in a logical manner? with an unlimited amount of content because surely there's not a limit and I race forward and and just a a continuing amount of content comes forth from wherever I'm getting it from. I'm sure it's all nonsense, but in the dream it makes sense. And that frustrates me that I can't actually outrun it, that I can fast forward and there's just, it just keeps coming. I wish that happened in real writing. (laughs) Real writing, the words stop and then I sit there and stare at the screen for 10 minutes. A little bit of anecdotal information for you. Uh, I the last time that I recall having any kind of sense of deja vu was before I started a uh, vipassana meditation practice many 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 years ago. I have not experienced it any time, and I, I I made a note of that because I noticed I wasn't experiencing it at all anymore, and it seems to have gone away. In your dream journal, you made a note of that. In, yes, in my morning in my morning dream journal. Okay. <laughs> do, so, you, fact- do you keep a dream journal? I do not. Oh, surprisingly, huh? Yeah, that is that does surprise me. So, getting on, moving on to Apple hardware, uh, we discussed the vaguely sourced rumor that there was supposed to be a 15-inch MacBook Air when the new when the MacBook Airs came out, the new line of MacBook Airs, but they canned it because they had problems with the hinge, right? And we talked about like, what is that likely that Apple would have that kind of problem that they wouldn't catch uh, in in the design process? Stephen Hart wrote in. Uh, to mention that it's easy to tell if something like a hinge can handle a static load, but the harder problem is failure from fatigue. 
Uh, it depends on the forces that are being applied and the low-level structure of materials such as crystal shapes and free-sliding planes of atoms, and it's too complex to simulate on a computer. So companies have machines that will open and close the hinge a whole bunch of number of times to see if it fails. So that's the type of thing where you, you can test lots of things on a computer. I, I bet we probably have some sort of models for fatigue for like air, aircraft frames and stuff like that, but at a certain point, individual parts, I know that I've seen this in many uh, other industries, you just have to like, you know, flip the switch on and off 8,000 times with a little robot or make the hinge open and close thousands of times to see if it fails. Um, so it's nice to know that that's still an area where, where our computer models are not good enough and doing it for real is the only really way to find out if it will really fail after a certain uh, number of uses. Uh, and Duncan H. Uh, tweeted me and then I encouraged him to write a blog post about this. He visited the Apple Reliability Labs mm. uh, long ago. Uh, in the early 90s, he said the lab had large vibration tables, climate changers, chambers, which cycled from 0% humidity to 100% humidity and 0 degrees Fahrenheit to 100 degrees Fahrenheit over a week's time. Machines for testing keyboards, thermal tolerances, IR testing, mechanical failure testing for hinges and iMac display arms and stuff like that. Uh, so just like sort of like that, uh, that uh, how do you pronounce this word? Anechoic chamber, the one where they tested the, the iPhone 4 antenna. Remember when they when Apple, but it was for testing the antenna's ability to, yeah, function like radio signals stuff. Also, right. I'm sure Apple has all sorts of cool testing areas. So here's another one. If you just go in there and see them, you know, opening and closing the hinge on the new line of MacBook Airs ten thousand times. Uh, a couple more minor Apple hardware things. We talked about the taller iPhone screen a couple shows back. We will talk about it more today later. And David McIntosh spelled like the Apple, not like the computer. Rodin's uh, mentioned that if the iPhone screen height, the new iPhone screen height, is more than 1024 pixels tall, then you won't be able to do the 2x zoom feature on like an iPad 2 or something because doubling the pixel height would be too big to fit on the screen. I don't think that's a big deal because I think when they do the doubling, it's just like, you know, it's open jail scaling. It's not, they don't care what the factor is. It's not an exact, to take every pixel and draw it with four pixels. Uh, at least that's my recollection of it. I haven't zoomed an iPhone app on an iPad in a long time. But uh, at any rate, I, they'll scale to whatever factor they feel like they need to scale. I don't, I don't think they care too much about how good or bad 2x scaled iPhone apps look like on the iPad. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if that feature uh, went away eventually, kind of like the, the, the blue box on Mac OS X lets you run classic things or, for that matter, PowerPC support. It was kind of like just like a bridge to say, okay, we launched the iPad uh, if you really have an iOS app that you need to use, it's not ported yet. Here's an out for you, but really, everyone should write iOS uh, iPad apps. All right, one more, one more hardware follow-up. We were talking about uh, the MacBook Airs on the last show, and well, two shows ago, I said that I or the MacBook Pros rather, I said I hoped that the MacBook Pros were wedge-shaped or at least that they had one edge that was big enough to fit an ethernet port because i really want an ethernet port and wireless isn't sufficient for me and then the next show i mentioned the new 802.11 ac wireless standard that supposedly offers gigabit speeds uh and even though that's still not good enough for people who are have security concerns or need ethernet to, to connect to their networks or other things that for home use it might be sufficient to let me not feel so bad about not having an ethernet port Except for the fact that, of course, my entire home network isn't, doesn't have that new standard and so on and so forth. So Jared Deacon, who told me that his name is spelled with two R's because his dad can't spell, uh, wrote in to tell me that gigabit Ethernet, uh, gigabit, Ethernet, gigabit wireless, this new standard, 
yeah, is probably not all it's cracked up to be for the same reason all wireless standards aren't, uh, that, it, that it's a shared medium. So the more people that are using the bandwidth, the slower the throughput will be. And he also says that the speed will be reduced to the lowest common connection speed. Uh, so he gives the example, if you have a MacBook Pro connecting to an airport extreme on the 2.4 gigahertz uh, spectrum, uh, and it connects at 130 megabits, and then you connect a first-gen MacBook, uh, you'll be reduced to 54 megabits because that's what the, the slower machine needs. And he says the same thing happens at 5 gigahertz. He says the only way to fix this issue is to add more radios, which is very cost prohibitive. Uh, so basically, if you have one 2.4 gigahertz radio, radio talking to a device, and it can talk quickly when a slower device comes on, the radio's got to slow down and talk to everybody at a slower speed. That's what I think what he's saying here. And so he says, well, you could add more radio. So if you've got one on the 5 gigahertz band and one on the 2.4 gigahertz band, they shouldn't fight with each other. Uh, but I think... 802.11ac tries to use as many bands as possible, and maybe that will use all of them. But he said the only way to fix this is to add more radios, which is cost prohibitive. So when I thought of that, I thought of my current airport extreme, which I have the single radio one, so I can't operate my network at, at faster speeds because I only have a single radio in the thing. It has to be working at the slower speeds for my slower devices. And I know that if I got the current airport extreme router thing or any other thing from a non-Apple company, they usually have two radios, one for 2.4, 1.1 for 5 gigahertz, and then both those radios can uh, operate simultaneously, and then my fast devices could be connected to, to one of them at the fast speed, and my slow devices to be connected to the other. But I think my understanding that it would still be faster if I had no slow devices on my network, and I could use both frequency ranges for a single device. Um, well, I thought of this, uh, you know, adding more radios is cost prohibitive. It's like, well, they already doubled the number from from one to two radios. So I thought of the uh, the classic onion story from February 2004, which I will sanitize the title up for the show. <laughs> so F everything. We're doing five blades. <laughs> right. That was the Gillette uh, a parody of the Gillette uh, razor company. This was back when I think they just had gone to like three blades or something like that. And it was getting kind of ridiculous that that. Shaver shaving makers kept adding more blades, and so this is supposed to be a, a humorous story. And of course, as we now know, we have actual blades with uh, razors with five blades on them. So it's very difficult to parody reality, even when you're the onion. So Apple couldn't say f everything. We're doing five radios. Just our routers have twenty-seven rate. You know, obviously, at a certain point, it becomes silly. But if that's the way forward, if they really want to commit to faster wireless, I think Apple will. Keep adding radios to the, to its things if that if there is a if you get bang for that buck because certainly the, their margins are high enough. Uh, so I, I I've been holding off. The reason I haven't bought the dual radio Airport Extreme is I am hoping to uh, skip that generation and get the next uh, set of of wireless routers from Apple that support the new faster gigabit standard. Uh, so hopefully that will be coming soon. That's it for follow-up. 20 minutes. Record time. You want to comment on what uh, Jim Dalrymple said on Amplified about the Mac Pro in any more detail? That's part of my topics. Oh, I swell. I, 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 well, there you go. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Well, let's do our first uh, sponsor then, if, if you're all right with that. Go for it. Uh, our first sponsor today, you know, I try to change up the order. I try to be fair. I do one, you know, one show, one because we do a week's worth. So, I'm going to do MailChimp first this time. That's uh, it's one of my favorite sponsors because they have been so supportive of us for so long. If you haven't checked these guys out, please go to MailChimp.com and check them out. What they do, easy email newsletters. They help you design email newsletters. They help you share them, obviously email, but they do a lot of social network integration too. 
and they let you track the results. It's like your own personal publishing platform. And they have so much great stuff for the geeks like us who want to try A-B testing or we want to have a variety of different ways to embed the sign-up form on your website or in your iOS app or in your Android app. They have just come out with something really cool that I've been sending people to, uh, which I think is it's just, just the kind of thing that these guys do. They have a brand new uh, guide in their resources. They do all these resources. They're free. You don't even need to sign up to read them. But this is like a 20-page guide that has all of uh, collected the visual research about how people read email on mobile devices. Because I don't know about you, but I read most of my email when I'm not sitting in front of the computer. I read it on my iOS device. Well, wouldn't it be nice to know how other people read this and what they do? And you know, these guys have put together this really cool guide. They call it a MailChimp study. But they have best practices for sending email to mobile devices, how to design, how to make a, use one of their templates or make your own that will work and degrade gracefully on a mobile device. All of this stuff, it's just right there. It's just right there. And you can send 12,000 emails to up to 2,000 subscribers every month for free forever. To find out about this and all the other great stuff that they do, just go to MailChimp.com. Thanks very much for them to supporting these shows. Do they still have the feature where you can turn the humor off? Yes. There's a little, they're a little, they have a little mascot, uh, a little monkey named Freddy, who I have told to, to my son when he asked about him. I said, well, it's, it's Curious George's brother. So Freddy is there and Freddy will sometimes crack jokes and say funny things as you're using the the user interface, if you don't want, you just to turn it off and then he goes away forever. That feature always makes me smile. And I think <laughs> back, back when I looked at MailChimp, or maybe it was the first time I looked at MailChimp, they had a, one of their pages was showing what your like email would look like in a, in a certain width of a screen. And it had Freddie's arm stretching out above the top of the thing. <laughs> right. like, and as you made the window wider, his arm would get bigger and bigger. And I think if you made the window really wide, his arm would come off. I maybe misremember. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's pretty funny. Yes, but you can turn that off if you don't like it, I suppose. Yeah. I, so a little birdie tells me that the 2x scaling mode for uh, iPod applications on the iPad is called classic internally at Apple, just like the blue box was. Huh. I don't know if that means anything, but that's, you know, that's how they think of it probably. And certainly that's how they've apparently named it. All right. So... Last show, somebody mentioned another anonymous vague source said that uh, they worked in retail somewhere and Apple corporate had told them to take all of the Mac Pro display stuff. You put it away. Take all the Mac Pros out from the, the display area. Take all the stuff, all the advertising, and just put it all in the back. And this person said that that is not standard operating procedure when a new iteration of a product is coming out. And so last week... I was probably at the in the depths of my despair about new Mac Pros coming out because the only information I had was negative and the major piece of information was, you know, whatever, it's 600 days since last update and it was just getting ridiculous. And it's like, at some point, you just got to face facts. There's not going to be another one. And I was all sad about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and so I'm way behind on podcasts, so I didn't hear this on the podcast, but I read it on Marco's website. And he said, uh, he posted something, this link is in the show notes, to uh, Amplified episode number nine, where Jim Dalrymple, the source of all accurate Apple knowledge, uh, (laughs) had this exchange with you. Uh, You said, is there any chance that Apple's going to can the Mac Pro? And Jim said, no. And then there was four seconds of silence. 
And then you said, I was hoping he was going to, you know, expand upon it and and share a little more. And so as Marco points out, this is very similar to Jim's previous response to some rumors that he posted on his website, The Loop, uh, where he quoted the rumor that, what was the rumor? I don't remember what it was. I think it was something about... Something with the iPad, right? Yeah, like that. There was going to be an event and the iPad was going to be introduced and it was going to have a retina display or something like that. And he just, his one commentary that he added after quoting it was, yep. Uh, So as Marco (laughs) says, that's all I needed to hear. And I feel much better about the uh, success of the Mac Pro because I think someone like Jim would not give an unequivocal no answer to the Mac Pro going away if he didn't have some piece of information. Yeah, so I, I'm, I know I'm Jim, I know him, and I, I, can, I can speak with some conviction that he, that was not his opinion. That he is, he is stating, I, I mean, I, just based on him, the way he talks, the way he answers things, if he says it like that, he's not stating an opinion, he's not sharing his thoughts, he's saying, this is a fact. Now we so, he didn't he didn't I was hoping he was going to come back and say no he's not going to give you details ex- not, expect something new but he didn't he didn't say just no, no it is not getting canned it is not right. going away and, and I that's f- all I need to hear like I'm patient yeah I don't you need can it wait to be you know it, like WWC comes and goes and there's no Mac Pro <laughs> thing announced I'm not going to freak out because now now I've got Jim who tells yeah. me don't don't worry Uncle Jim made you feel much more comfortable yeah so now now I'm happy uh, and so this made me think about. <laughs> This made me start thinking about finally what what it is that I want out of a new Mac Pro. Right. Now that you feel that the future, at least the next generation, has been confirmed and your future is safe, now you can start making unreasonable demands. That's right, right. It has been (laughs) OMG confirmed, all caps, in the parlance of the Ars Technica forums and many other places on the internet. That's, that's an old meme from the Ars Technica forums. OMG new towers with towers spelled with an A in place of the final E and everything all in caps. <laughs> and I guarantee you that subject line will appear if, if and when new towers come out. So here's my, my fantasy setup here for the new Mac Pros. Obviously, the new Xeon CPUs. The E5 is the big honking new CPU, but the E3 is on a smaller process. So maybe I don't know if they would bother fielding like the cheap model with the Xeon E3 in it or something. I don't know. Uh, but that's obvious, right? Uh, Thunderbolt, I think, is another gimme. Yeah, got got Everyone else has it. The little eleven-inch does the eleven-inch Air has it? Yeah, every, everybody has it now, basically, except for uh, the Mac Pro. Does the Mini have Thunderbolt? I think it does, right? I'll check. Yeah, but anyway, Thunderbolt's got to be there, right? A modern video card. Oh, to think, to think, to get a Mac with a modern video card in it. Like, which which card do I want? I don't know. Like, I don't really care. This, about the specific card but just like make it awesome which basically means buy a, a card that's available for sale now and not one that was created two years ago uh chat room affirms that the mini does have yes yeah, so i would just put it into the show notes it does it also has firewire 800 there you go uh so pick a video card make it awesome but not too hot or loud like this is the balance that i like apple to make i i don't need them to put in you know a geforce gtx uh, 690 like just a, the fastest video card you could possibly get that's just a beast and it's overclocked and it like i don't i don't need that like i want it to be pretty darn fast the highest end card you can get but it doesn't need to be overclocked it doesn't need to be you know the the one card model that's really on the edge of what the current process can handle or whatever i because i don't want it to be too loud or hot because most of the time it's just sitting there drawing the screen i don't need it to be uh it, it doesn't i don't want to hear like a hairdryer blowing in there all the time right 
so I, I want them to strike that balance and I hope they will. So there's like the GTX uh, 60, 670 is a similar. Like I looked up these stats to see what, what we're looking at here for, for the big honking 690. It's 195 watts. Uh, and that's a $500 card. Uh, but for the 670, it's 170 watts and a $400 card. Uh, and the dip in performance is not too big. So, I, I mean, it really comes down to the cooling solution they put on these things. Uh, I don't know if Apple does their own cooling designs, but they, they tend the cards in the Mac Pros tend to come with different coolers than I see advertised for third-party uh, or, or uh, NVIDIA's own cards. Right. So if you went, you're saying if you went and bought a the card directly from NVIDIA or one of the manufacturers that make the NVIDIAs, the cooling solution on that card is very, very different. And I can... I can agree with that. The Mac Pro that I have here that has a card that I actually put a similar card into another Mac Pro, this one has a gray silent fan attachment on top of it. It's gray. It matches the gray plastic that's used throughout the interior of the Mac Pro. And the fan is absolutely silent. And yet I had another like third-party manufactured card, same type of card, that had like just a little crummy black fan sitting on top of it that was not silent yeah and so i i don't know who designs those but it's clear that they're that they are specific to apple's Very. cards and I, and I would hope that apple is applying its uh values to that to say it's not important to us that we get the biggest hottest card but we don't want your cooler to make a lot of noise and for people who don't know uh, about cooling the general rule is the smaller the fan in terms of circumference, the louder it's going to be, which might seem counterintuitive. But basically, small fans with the small circumference can't move as much air as big fans. So they have to spin faster. And the faster you spin, the more noise you make. So what you want is a big, lazy fan turning. Like that's why in the Mac Pros and the Power Mac G5s before them, like the, the CPU cooling fans, I don't know what they're like, six inches across. They're yeah. huge, right? Yeah. You want them to be big so that you can turn them slowly and that makes them quiet. Whereas like the X-Serve, which was a pizza box shape, a 1U form factor, those fans are noisy as anything because, I mean, how big can you make a fan in a 1U case? If it's going to be front or back facing, it can't be any higher than 1U. And so it, they have to turn really. And of course, you know, the, the, the cooling requirements for data center are higher too. But, but, but if they're it, in a data center, everything's loud in there. Yes. Now you can't hear anything at data center. So that's not obviously who cares about that for the excerpt, but for the computer sitting under my desk, I want it to be quiet. I actually put an aftermarket cooler in the video card on my Power Mac G5 because the one that Apple shipped, it was an ATI card and it was some cruddy thing that was perfectly silent until about a year later when the bearings or whatever in it went bad and then it sounded like gravel <laughs> in, in a cement mixer and so i bought an aftermarket cooler that was quieter and you, you've, my, you've said before in this show you never had one of the wind tunnel g4s did you no i i worked with them and i know what they're like but i'd never owned one never that was that was a horrible horrible dark time for apple i did have a wind tunnel g4 these things were incredibly loud they would also make a kind of high-pitched squealing sound from time to time. And they released, Apple actually came out, there were a ton of people who were like, oh, you can get this fan and you can retrofit it. And, and I did that. But it was so bad that Apple eventually came out with a new PSU and a primary, you know, primary cooling fan uh, that, that they released this replacement kit that you could do. And it was the worst. It was the worst. And even then it wasn't very quiet. Apple has come so far and paid so much more attention to making their stuff quiet. That was like the last time 
that they've had that big of an issue. Well, remember all that cooling on the on the wind tunnels was to cool a CPU with like 133 megahertz memory bus. <laughs> like it was all oh, well, that big honking machine, the G4. We need to, you know, obviously the process was, uh, you know, the the feature size and the silicons was much bigger than it is now. I don't remember what it was then, but. Uh, yeah, that's kind of silly to think about. And I remember seeing a picture on the internet. I don't remember if this was a, some random person or a friend of mine that had this model. Uh, showed it, he had his wind tunnel on the floor, and when he went to clean the thing out, like there was a, there's kind of like an inlet for the air that the fans <laughs> sucked the air into. It was right. kind of like a, kind of like shaped like a wedge, yeah, and it would narrow to where the air went in. And when he cleaned the thing out, what he pulled out of there was a triangular shape wedge shaped. <laughs> structure made of cat hair <laughs> that had been almost completely blocking terrible the, that inlet yeah uh not, not a good design uh the, the G, power mac g5s i thought were pretty darn noisy too that was the first tower mac believe it or not that i had to put under my desk i always wanted to have the tower macs on my desk because i thought they looked cool but when the g5 came out my cpu my my, my cpu my psu my power power supply was chirping because of some you know transformers that were vibrating <laughs> and stuff like that and the fans were loud and so i had to put it under the desk the mac pro <laughs> that i have now is so much quieter than my power mac g5 it's not it's not it's not even close like oh I, yeah the I mac pros are an absolute boon for those of us who do recording because they really 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 don't make any noise at all it's funny that one of the mac pros that i have here is one that i bought from marco and he had upgraded the video card in it i believe he upgraded it from apple uh rather than the third party if he, if he's listening he can please send us the feedback marco and let me know whether that was an apple upgrade or a third party one but there are fans on that little video card and when this thing wakes up from sleep or boots up you hear the fans go to full speed and those things are really really loud and i've never heard that with a standard issue graphics card on a mac pro yeah i have the big the, the quote-unquote big graphics card in my mac pro which, the, which was the uh uh, nvidia 8800 gt that's what was the best card they offered at the time i bought my mac pro many years ago and it, it's cooler it hasn't died yet the bearings haven't gone on it and it's very quiet but when i play games i can hear fans getting a little bit louder like you know 3d games that stress the system and i can't tell if the fans i hear getting louder is the one on the cooler on the video card or my suspicion is it's the two very small fans that are blowing on either the hard drives or like the top level CD-ROM, you know, ah. DVD drive bay. Like because heat is wafting up from the GPU and then those little fans need to crank up because their temperature sensors in their region say, hey, it's getting hot here. And since those fans are so little, I think I hear them and I don't hear the CPU fans or the GPU fans. So it, it, cooling is tricky where you're like, oh, we got, you know, everything taken care of. Well, heat rises, right? And so the things at the top of the case, if they don't have big fans in front of them, and they start to get hot from everything else, then those little fans are going to speed up, and that may become the dominant sound in the system. And which NVIDIA card is it that you have in there? 8800 GT. Okay, that's what's in this one for Marco, too. Yeah, Five, that came from, 512 megs. Right? That came from Apple, actually. Is, is it there? See, this has Early Apple. 2008 is the model on that Mac Pro. The one that's here. I'm not saying yours. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up my thing here. Early 2008, that's what mine says. Okay, so we have the same. Uh, and then my newer Mac Pro is in early 2009, and it it has a uh, GeForce GT 120, which apparently is not as good. No. Runs Diablo 3, fine. Yeah. All right, Ad, so that's that's the video card. And USB 3, you, I don't like USB, but this is the Mac Pro, right? If any machine is going to have USB 3, then throw it on there. And as Marco pointed out, that's not built into the chipset for the Xeons 
for the new line of Xeons, but I don't think that matters. Like, you got plenty of room to put in a daughter card. The case is humongous. Uh, throw in a USB daughter card, you know, but put whatever you have to do to get USB 3 in there. Of all the machines that Apple sells, this is the one with room for them to just shove USB 3 on it, even though it's not part of the chipset. Are you plenty. predicting that USB 3 will be there, or is this just simply still your wish this, list? This is still my wish list. All right. Uh, I'm also predicting that if USB 3 is anywhere on, in Apple's products ever, the Mac Pro will be one of those places because that just seems to make sense. Uh, and then finally, speaking of the case, there are rumors floating around the interwebs about the new line of Mac Pros not just being another thing where they rip the guts out of that case and put new guts in and maybe move some ports around to accommodate the new guts. But, but the first time in you know many, many years the case could actually be different. Now, I have trouble envisioning what would be different about the case, except perhaps the, they could ditch one or both optical drives and get some room back uh, and maybe make it a little narrower, you know. Like, because things have gotten smaller. Like, if you look inside there now, you're like, okay, well, there's a little bit of air. You know, the full-length PCI Express cards are rare. Maybe they can decide, well, we'll make the case just long enough for a full-length PCI Express card but not have all this extra room. Uh, I know Marco wants a place to put 2.5-inch drives. Yeah. So he, he wants to take some of that space from the opticals and use it for 2.5s. Like, things could be rearranged in there to make the case externally smaller and, and lighter. Uh, aesthetically, I'm not sure what they would do, but I, I think this is still definitely in the realm of fantasy of, like, making a new case because I, I don't think there's anything really wrong with the current case. I, I like the current case. Like, it's it's big and heavy, and the handles are silly and cut your hands when you try to move it, but you don't. It sits under the desk. The side is easy to open. RAM is easy to add. Uh, as long as the... But if they do have a new case, as long as the new case has at least room for four hard drives and at least enough room for the amount of RAM that I want to put in it, and I, I would still like one optical drive. Again, this is the Mac Pro. This is the no compromises. We have everything on this machine machine. If any machine is still going to have an optical drive, it should be the Mac Pro because you don't have portability concerns. You don't want to make... I mean, the iMac still has it too, but you don't have any reason to get rid of that optical drive other than some sort of principled stand against optical media. But Blu-ray? The, the Mac Pro is not about that. Blu-ray drive... The only way I can see Apple putting a Blu-ray drive in there is if it becomes cheaper for them to buy... This is the same reason they go to USB 2 or USB 3. At a certain point, it becomes cheaper to buy a US, to get have USB 2 inside your Mac for Apple than it does for Apple to put USB 1 in. Because at a certain point, no one was making USB 1. It wasn't on the motherboards. It wasn't in the chipsets. If they wanted USB 1, they would have to explicitly order a part for it and modify it. You know, like at a certain point, it's cheaper for Apple to include USB 2. We're not at that point for USB 3 yet. It's not cheaper for Apple to include USB 3 because it doesn't come as part of the chipset. But for the Ivy Bridge things, when it does, it's probably cheaper for them just to include USB 3. And so that could create this perverse scenario where the new line of MacBook Airs have USB 3, but the Mac Pro doesn't simply because it's not part of the chipset and Apple is cheaping out. But I don't think the Mac Pro is about cheaping out. It's not about compromising. Uh, and so for Blu-ray, they're like, you know, it costs us two bucks more to put in a Blu-ray capable drive that can also do all the all the other optical formats or five bucks or ten bucks and like we you know it's not going to be able to play Blu-ray movies because we're not going to do all the licensing stuff but it's just a Blu-ray media thing and some of our pros want that for just like a, a way to store content on optical media that holds a lot so we'll throw them a bone but I'm I put that as still pretty unlikely it's probably more likely that they will ditch the optical drive altogether than a Blu-ray will appear. But, but who knows? Again, if Blu-ray is going to appear anywhere, it's not going to be on, on a laptop, certainly not going to be in the iMac. It's going to be in the Mac Pro. And I don't think on the Mac Pro, Apple will bother going through the licensing nightmare that is 
making it able to play Blu-ray movies because who cares about that? It's all about uh, movies over the internet these days. So that's my fantasy. It's not a prediction of what I want out of a new Mac Pro, and we'll see. We'll see what I get when they when they appear. Now, what's your track record on this? For predictions or for fantasies? For <laughs> for predictions. Uh, I don't know. Like I I I don't have any good inside information. So all my all my predictions are based on like the noise on the web. And I have experience reading the noise on the web, but really, by the time you get close to the date, everyone comes to some sort of consensus about what they expect, and rarely is that consensus completely off, right? Uh, so, I think my predictions are as good as anyone else who reads Apple websites. I don't have any particular insight into the into the details, as I'm 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 very heavily influenced in the the volume of and credibility of information that's on the web. My next topic is the iPhone 5. You want to do our second sponsor before we jump into that? It's a good idea. Second sponsor, let's talk about travel. I'm talking this week about Kayak. These guys make websites and mobile apps that enable you to compare hundreds of different travel sites at once. It's a time saver. This is really like the easiest way to find good deals on you know, flights, hotels, car rentals. But I want to talk about their mobile app because as People prepare to go to WWDC. You want to, you know, we're geeks. We like to have backup plans. You, you realize all of a sudden that your flight got canceled. What are you going to do? Well, you have your iPhone, you have your iOS device, you have some kind of Android device. They have an app for all of these, even for Nokia stuff, by the way. You pull this thing out and you say, oh, I, I got a backup flight right here. Oh, you get to your hotel and then, well, we don't have a confirmation code that matches that. We don't even have your name on our, on our list. We have our computers. Don't show you. What are you going to do? Get a hotel room. Use the app. It does all of this stuff. It even has a free flight tracker. So you or your, your spouse or your friends can see what's going on. It's all built in. I really like the one touch, uh, like hotel search. It just sees where you are. And so, well, these are hotels right by you. This is their availability. This is their pricing. And it also has built-in trip management. So if you're planning on traveling and you just get your confirmation email, you just forward it to trips at kayak.com. Boom, it's in the app. All of this stuff, it's built in. Airline directory, it even shows fees. Find out if you have to pay to check your bag. Go to Kayak, K-A-Y-A-K, kayak.com slash 5 by 5 Going to that URL shows them, you listened, you heard about it here, and it's going to send you to get the mobile app that'll work with your device. Oh, and they even have, and by the way, these are real mobile apps. They're not just wrappers to the website, but they do have a really nice mobile website. If for some reason you want to just browse there, you can browse that on your device too. So go check these guys out, kayak.com slash five by five. So the iPhone five rumor mill is cranking up again, in preparation for WWDC. Right. And I think now would be a good time to revisit that topic. Okay. We'll probably keep revisiting it until WWDC. Uh, I'll start with what I think is wrong with the current iPhone hardware, iPhone 4S, mostly focusing on areas that I that are feasible to fix. I can't say, like, I wish the battery lasted 24 hours. Well, you know, can't have everything. Uh, so here's the list of obvious things uh, that could be improved from the iPhone 4S. First is no LTE. The iPad 3's got it. A lot of other phones have it. iPhone doesn't. At this point, we're at the phase now where the iPhone kind of needs it for competitive reasons. Uh, 
It's a little bit thick. I, I carry around an iPod Touch a lot, which obviously is thinner because it doesn't have all the phone parts. But even amongst phones, the iPhone form factor, the, the height and width combined with that thickness and the fact that the edges are are slab-sided, you know, it's they're at right angles, makes it feel thicker than it really is. Like if they just tapered the edges, it would feel thinner. So even if the new phone is not actually thinner, I think feeling thinner would be good because now it kind of, I mean, I don't know if it looks dated or feels dated, but it just, it feels chunky to me, uh, especially with a bumper on it. But even without a bumper, it feels a little chunky. I've always thought that the the, the iPhone 4 design with the glass front and back uh, was a bridge too far. The, the glass back is a little fragile. Uh, I mean, because it's kind of like the, the, if you have toast with both sides being buttered, you know, no matter how you drop it, you screw it. And that always felt unfair to me. Like you'd want to get the lock, lucky drop where you're like, oh, it didn't land on the screen side and I just got a little dent. But no, it didn't land on the screen side and and, and I, the whole back shattered. And yeah, you can get the back replaced cheaply, but it's just, I think that, that that was a clever, nice design. It's nice symmetry with the glass front and back, but I think it's time has come and gone and it's time to move on to the next the next design idea. The dock connector. I've I've complained about this many times. This is not just something that I think is wrong with the iPhone 4S, but with all iOS devices and all iPods and everything that has ever had this this connector. This, I can't remember which show we talked about that on, but a, a brief review on it, why I don't like it. I don't like the fact that there are many tiny fragile contacts on the thing. Super small contacts. Is, you know, I guess there's 30 of them, the 30-pin connector. Uh, but they're really small on there, and they're not particularly robust. I don't like that the connector only fits in one way, but that way is not obvious without looking at the little, you know, they have the little picture and that always faces up. So, you know, experience users of these gadgets aren't confused about which way it goes, but it means you have to be looking at it and you can't really feel it with your fingers to tell, even though if you looked at it closely, you can tell it's, you know, it only fits in one way. That's always bothered me. You know how I feel about connectors that aren't, then when it's not obvious which way they're supposed to go in and they don't work both ways. When you plug that thing in, I've never felt that that was a satisfying experience, physically speaking. Not this, this is getting pretty touchy-feely, but it's that's part of the experience of owning a product. Is How does it feel to plug a dock connector into a device? Does it feel satisfying? Does it feel expensive? Uh, getting back to automotive, I think I brought this up before, the car makers, the good car makers, pay a lot of attention to this. How does it feel to turn the climate control fan setting up one notch? How does it feel to change, to turn the temperature from, you know, hot to cold, to turn the knobs on the radio, to to use the turn signal stock to make it go up and down? They pay a lot of attention to how that feels. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's more reliable or better in any way, but it feels better. It gives an impression of your car. A lot of these car makers also concentrate, how does it feel when you close the door? Because that was one of the tests people would do. I close the door and it sounds tinny and, and, it doesn't sound sturdy, but you close the door on an expensive car and it goes whoomp and it feels it feels expensive. <laughs> it feels like you're getting your money's worth. Right? Right. These are important considerations. And in most other aspects of Apple's products, Apple pays attention to these things. Like the, the, the unibody aluminum things, they feel more solid. They actually are more solid and more you know prone to twisting and everything than the ones that were made out of multiple pieces. And there's less creaking, you know, where the pieces as over time they get creaky, like the plastic ones will start to get creaky and stuff like that. But for the connectors, so far, I mean, Apple has very little control over the connectors. And in general, connectors don't concentrate on this because they're industry standards and no one cares about this touchy-feely stuff. But Apple controls the dock connector. It made that itself. It didn't have to make it that way. Uh, so I would like something that feels better to plug and unplug. Because I think this is one of the uh, tactily, uh, is that the right word? 
Oh, I think so. But we, you addressed some of these issues way back when we talked about this connector and I forget what was your favorite connector that was out there. I know you had problems with all of them, but what was your favorite connector that existed? I I liked FireWire 400, but that was until everybody wrote in to tell me that they They could still put it in upside down. People were jamming FireWire 400 (laughs) connectors in backwards. So apparently, you know, nothing is, is uh, completely foolproof because fools are so ingenious. So, that one's got demoted in my vision because like apparently you know that the connector the thing that receives the connector is not designed in such a way that it prevents that and that's sad i it kind of prevents that on apple's hardware because on the unibody apple hardware they do the laser cutting out of the holes where the ports line up and you may be able to deform the internal connector but you can't get the connector through the firewire shaped connector shaped hole in the aluminum because that you can't like push out of the way because that's thick aluminum and it's strong uh so, and you know, I, that was in the show where I was complaining about the USB connection, which is just the worst because it's externally symmetrical but internally asymmetrical. Uh, that's just the worst. Uh, so I hope they don't do that. And there was also uh, parallel versus serial. Like my my notion is that parallel connectors are the past and serial is the future. And most of our ports have been moving that direction. Even internally, we went from ATA to serial ATA. That, you know, that's not even an external cable. But certainly for for cables to go outside the computer, FireWire is a serial interface replacing you know SCSI, which was massively parallel with those giant connectors like parallel is bad for all sorts of reasons so i i felt like the the parallel not the not that the, the ipod dock connector is parallel-ish but it has lots of pins i mean i know a lot of those pins don't have anything to do with data they have like the line out for audio and they have a couple of power things and then there are you know ones for just resistor signaling and i forget what goes over there i think the video goes out of there analog video there's all sorts of stuff on those 30 pins uh, and to make every, all that stuff go over a serial connection you need to have more complicated chips inside the thing on the receiving end and uh you need to deal with protocols for all the other data and it 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 is it is a problem like but overall i feel like that's the direction that they need to go in and the other thing about the dock connector is that the cable end on that thing uh, i i i thought of this because i had just visited the genius bar i'll talk about that later i guess and while i'm there at the genius bar i see sad people bringing in their various ios devices and even if there was, this wasn't their specific problem, their cables were all just beat to hell. Like the little connector between the dock, the, the, the place where the cable and the dock connector join was just always all bent up. And all the ones that the Genius Bar guys had, had were like taped up and had like, you know, different like gaffers tape wrapped around them to try to hold them together. That, that's a weak point in the product. And the, the way, the reason I think it's a weak point is because even though we all know the anal retentive Apple Mac users who don't put stickers on our devices and treat them like little holy temples, you shouldn't pull out the the connector by the cable. But regular people don't know, or if they do know, they don't care. They yank it out by the cable. And why does yanking it out by the cable cause a problem? Because there's a tremendous amount of friction in that connector. That's what's holding the thing in. And you have to pull it directly straight out because it's such a wide connector. So any force you put on it that's not directly aligned with the direction you have to pull it out is just putting strain on the little you know strain relief grommet that they have in there and eventually that gives up the ghost and they keep making it tougher but at a certain point you just keep yanking on the cable you're gonna have a problem Uh, and friction is good it's good for maintaining the connection but that kind of friction like so it doesn't slip out when you don't mean it to but it's really bad for for cable fraying so you really have to strike a balance there and i think the balance they're trying to strike is you remember the first line of ipod dock connectors that had the buttons on the side that you would pinch to disengage the little hooks. Right. Those are old school, right? Well, part so that of that was, like, was because you had to eject the iPod in the software. You had to go into iTunes and eject it or else bad things would happen. And then they eventually, I think when the iPhone came out, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but that was the first time I remember the connector not requiring, not having the pinchers. And that was because you could un- just unplug the iPhone. You didn't have to disconnect it as long as it wasn't syncing. You didn't have to disconnect it. You could just unplug it. And it was smart enough to know that it had been disconnected. And yeah, I think I wonder- then they, 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 they added that functionality to the iPod software eventually. I wonder if that, that was simultaneous. I hadn't thought of that before. It could be that those things are too synced up, but they could have just been independent of each other, right? Because, like, because it wasn't preventing you from getting it out. It was just making it slightly more difficult. One of the things that it did was it made you not pull it out by the cable because you couldn't. You couldn't right. pull it out, but you had to press those two little buttons in. Uh, I, but I think probably if you were to ask someone at the Genius Bar, they would say, boy, I really liked it when they got rid of those little hook thingies because people would just yank and yank on that sucker and not, and forget about like, they were, oh, yeah, the buttons. I got to do the buttons. And like that may have caused more wear and tear. You would think it would cause less because it's like, well, now no one will be cor- pulling on the cord anymore. I think people will pull on the cord for two seconds, remember that it's not going to work, or maybe pull really hard and then remember and then go to the little buttons. And that's not great. So they ditch the buttons. But then once you ditch the buttons, you have to make sure there's enough friction on the connector so that it doesn't fall out accidentally. And so and then increasing that friction means that when you do try to yank it up by the cable, you're putting more force on it before the thing comes out. And yeah, it's not a great situation. And I think a lot of it has to do with the size of that connector. That it's a big, wide thing with a lot of friction. Uh, so what else on the iPhone? Obviously, CPU. Uh, modern JavaScript-heavy web page loading on iOS is still limited to a large degree by CPU speed, not by your internet connection. Uh, so if they, if they, the, fast, the better they can bump that, you know, thumbs up. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what they can do in terms of clocking it. I don't know if anything like an A6 is ready. Probably not. Uh, but anything they can do in the CPU area will be helpful. And RAM, RAM is the area where you really need to, to crank it up because the, the iPhone 4S only has 512 megabytes. And that's that's below the bar competitively. And, you know, the iPad, the iPad 3 has one gigabyte. Uh, and, you know, it, if you're on the iPhone 4S and you're reading a web page and then you go out and travel through, you make a stop off at two or three other apps, when you come back to Safari, it's going to reload and your tabs will be gone and then you'll be sad. Uh, so more RAM is always better. I think that's that's a no-brainer that uh, they need to crank that up. So this brings us to... So that's that's my things that I think need to be addressed with the new iPhone. And this brings us to our current collection of leaks about the supposed iPhone 5. And at this point, we should all pause and reflect on the wedge. Remember <laughs> the iPhone 5 that we all knew was coming that would be shaped like a wedge right. because of all the rumors. We had screenshots of... Certainly of cases. I think we even had uh, like like wrap, you know, rubber cases that would go around it. I think we even had screenshots of like aluminum parts that were web shaped, and we had lots of mock-ups. Uh, but what we got was the iPhone 4S instead. So keep that in mind as we discuss these completely unsubstantiated, but nevertheless very compelling-looking uh, leaked photos and stuff like that. We all thought that the wedge could be coming, and then it wasn't. So same thing could happen here. Uh, I think you discuss these on Marco's show as well, but I'm I'm intrigued by them. I I've, I found that I've stopped reading Mac or Apple related rumor sites. I guess I stopped a long time ago, but I only read news sites that tend not to traffic in this type of unsourced random stuff. Or if they do, they just wait for a bunch of other people to write it up and then they sort of summarize it. Uh, so this was actually out since what the, the 29th uh, of May. This this first link is from Nine to Five Mac. Do you have this one up from the show notes? Yeah, I'm pulling it up right now. All right. So this shows aluminum cases looking all the world like exactly what we've all been talking about the iPhone 5 looking like in, in past shows. Uh, 
the the chin and forehead on the top and bottom right. of the screen area squished the screen you know filling that area instead it looks slightly thinner than the current models we've got a black one and a white one uh, i mean it really looks like the, the mock-ups that uh, we've linked to in past shows right now you and Marco were arguing about whether the screen was sixteen by nine. Right, you can't tell from the photo that's there. It's not the photo that's at the top of the article, but if you scroll down a little bit, there's a what looks like the front piece. I guess the is it the piece of glass or whatever it is that has the the button things on it that's sitting there. And it, I my guess is that it is that is the you know sixteen by nine size, and just because of the way it's sitting at the angle that you can't tell. Yeah, I would have thought that by now someone with Photoshop skills would have brought that up and done like a 3D layer on top of it and then corrected the perspective and then just right. done the ratio of pixels. I tried to do that myself, but I have no idea what I'm doing and was not successful. <laughs> uh, so I, but, but so I'm, I'm using the exact same tool you and Marco were doing, which is called eyeballing it. Yeah. And when I eyeball it, especially from the top picture, the top, if you assume that those back plates exactly match the dimensions of the screen on the front which isn't might not be a correct assumption but eyeballing that kind of looks right to me that looks like a 16 by 9 screen to me yeah so that's what i'm gonna go with there and and the article insists that it is so you know there you go um the next link is we're gonna say this is the same thing the next link is this is from the verge forums and the title of this little thing is MagSafe Mini on the iPhone 5. And right. It's got a z- zoomed in of one of those other pictures showing the bottom of this phone. And this is where it gets interesting slash less believable slash more exciting. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what you want to call it. <laughs> At the bottom of the phone, you've got... First, you've got a circle opening on the left. It looks like the headphone port. And this is worth discussing. I can kind of go both ways on this. Like, where should the headphone port be? on on an ios device that's shaped like you know an iphone or an ipod touch right should it be the top the bottom the side where where should it be uh, most people the, the first reaction to most people is like wh- whatever device they have wherever the headphone port is on that they probably say they think it should still be there so if you have an iphone and the headphone port is currently on the top you think it should still be on the top and this crazy rumor thing here with the port on the bottom is is nuts and why would you ever want on the bottom i've got an ipod touch the iPod Touch headphone port is already on the bottom, and uh, iPod Touch owners may think, oh, that's where it should be. If it was on the top, it would be annoying. There's arguments to be made in, in, in both directions here. Dented me in the chat room is insistent that it should be on the top. Uh, the top one makes sense because, like, you're looking at it vertically, and when you stop looking at it, you put it down in the same orientation, and then the uh, the the cord should come, be coming on top. Like, so you say you take it and l- look at it, with the headphone cord coming out of the top, you're done looking at it. You put it into your pocket. You don't flip it around. You just put it into your pocket the way it is. And as you do that, the headphone port uh, wire continues to come out of your pocket, right? The reverse argument is if you have the headphone jack on the bottom, you put it into your pocket that way with the headphone jack coming up. And when you pick it out, you turn it towards you and then everything is right side up. It's kind of like the the Apple logo on the top of laptops where... It used to be that it was right side up to from the perspective of the person who was about to open the laptop, but then Apple flipped it and said it should be right side up to, from the perspective of people looking at the laptop while you're using it. Uh, I guess it really depends on how you pocket or pick up your iPhone and whether you do a rotation or not. 
I don't think it makes that big of a difference. I think no matter where they put it, people will get used to it. Uh, I've got got a bunch of reasons why it needs to be on the bottom, by the way. All right, let's hear your reasons. You maybe have better ones than I have. All right. I do something with my iPhone that almost nobody else I know does. I make phone calls with it. And there are frequently times when I am perhaps in front of my computer, perhaps when I'm in the car, where I have it charging or docked, if you will, while it is while I'm making a phone call for power and other reasons. Well, it's always nice to have all of the cables coming out of one side of your device. This is something that you've seen Apple change around a lot with their portable computers and laptops because people used to complain, well, why is the USB on one side and I've got to stretch all the way around to this cable to get it to the other side to get the power to it, that kind of thing. It's wonderful to have all of the cables coming out in the same place on the bottom. I'll tell you another reason. Uh, if, if when I'm holding the iPhone, I hold it in my hand and you hold it the way that you would generally tend to operate it. And that is you've got the bottom at the bottom and sort of toward the palm of your hand. And then you've got your fingers or your thumb around it. And if you're holding it with your two hands and you're thumb typing, then having the cables coming out from the bottom keeps them sort of together out of the way. And you don't have, uh, you know, like your headphone cable coming down. It never comes down over the front of the screen. You don't have to push it behind. You don't have it in, in the way of one hand. Just boom, right out of the way. Another thing, when you hold the phone, I don't know about you, how you hold it when you put it in your pocket. But to me, it seems more natural that if I'm holding the phone upright and I'm looking at it and I've got the bottom on the bottom in the palm of my hand and I, I want to put it down into my pocket, I'm putting it down in that same orientation so that you're shoving it down in your pocket so that the bottom of the phone is now pointing up, coming out of the bottom of your pocket. Now, I will talk on the phone sometimes if I'm walking or if I'm just listening to a podcast or something like that, and I put the phone in my pocket, it's easier if that cable just comes straight out of the bottom of the phone, which naturally is sticking up if I've shoved it down into my pocket so that when I get a phone call or whatever and I need to grab it and pull it out of my pocket, that I'm reaching into the pocket, pulling it out, and it's already in my hand in the right orientation. I don't have to flip it around or anything like that. You also have the back of the phone usually facing out because the back of the phone is more resilient, you would think, to, or at least if it's going to get cracked, you want that to get cracked instead of the front. And that's the orientation that it's in. You're not having to flip it around as much. I think if you had a device with the headphone port, well, you like on your iPhone now, it's on the top, right? Yes. And do you find it awkward to put it in your, to, to not do the flip around when you put it in your pocket? Like, do you find yourself having to consciously remember, oh, yes. I'm putting it in my pocket, but don't flip it around? Yeah. I always, I always have to. And, and the other thing that's a pain about it is if I want to put it in my pocket in the orientation that will allow me to grab the phone quickly and operate it to answer it or for whatever reason, I want it uh, head down in the pocket. And that means I have to disconnect the headphones from it anytime I want to put it in my pocket or I have to think, okay, I have to flip this thing around and, and put it in that way. Because if you're holding the phone to look at it and the headphone jack is on the bottom, you can just boom, throw it right in your pocket. So I'm uh-huh. I'm in the camp of please put it on the bottom. Hopefully these pictures are real. Hi, Andy in the chat room says, what about the corner? The worst of both worlds. Coming uh, out, have it coming out at a 45 degree angle. <laughs> yeah, that, that would never break off. People have no idea how to put it in. <laughs> yeah. So 
that that's one aspect. So I'm in favor of the bottom, John. Yeah, and this and this looks like it's actually to the left. If you're looking at the iPhone screen head-on in portrait orientation, right. it's on the left side, right? As soon as the curve on the corner stops being a curve and starts being flat, that's where the hole is, right? But then in the middle of this thing, oh, you have two two speaker holes like there's a there's a set of right. tiny microscopic one holes. of them is a little like shorter one has only uh six ports or holes whatever you'd call them across 12, the other one yeah, is, yeah. yeah and yeah so that's that's like the speaker grill area it's kind of interesting because on the current on the current ipod touch anyway and i think it's like us on the iphone too the place where the speaker sound comes out of is the dock connector hole this is the biggest hole in the bottom of the device. It's a pretty long, wide hole. And if you put your ear up to it, uh, you can hear that's where the sound is coming out, at least on the iPod Touch. Uh, and so here, they've got these little tiny holes, I guess, to make up for the fact that the dock connector hole is no longer there. And what you have instead is a very small, looks like maybe a, a centimeter long uh, slot with rounded uh, rounded ends. looks kind of like a capsule-shaped hole, like, shaped like a, a capsule or a pill. That's only, It's doesn't take up the full width of the thing and then next to it are these two little dots i what do you think of those little dots there do they look like the same as the little speaker hole dots or do they look like something different i think they are different i don't know what they are um if at the the bottom of this iphone i've got an iphone 4s i've got two little speaker grills that look like they have a little mesh inside of them like a screen and then there's the dock connector and to the right and left of this dock connector are two I don't know if they're torque screws or what they are. They have, look like a little star. So I guess they're some kind of a torque screw uh, onto the left and the right of the dock connector. So it could be that these are just screw holes that don't have their screws in them. They look pretty small to be screw holes. Now these and are the, the ones on the current iPhone are pretty small, pretty yeah, small. That's true too. But so, so I look at this connector and so the hole in, in the case of this thing is symmetrical uh, it doesn't. It's a flat thing, so it can't. It's not a circle, but you can flip it over, top and bottom, and a shape will go in that way. It's not shaped like a trapezoid right. or any other shape that can only go in one way. But I really think those are screw holes. I think whatever whatever thing is going to that dock connector or whatever that thing is that goes in there, I think those are the two screw holes for it. So this gives me some hope that the thing that goes in there will not have the problem that USB has or the problem that the dock connector has. Yeah. I mean, again, it could have the problem that USB has because we have no idea what the, what the internals would look like, but the current dock connector only physically fits in one, in one direction. This would be great if it fit in both directions. That would solve a lot of problems. Second, having an opening like that, like such a precise opening, surely, you know, cut by some precision machining thing, they can make that opening and it's, it's on like that thick band of steel or whatever that's around the, the, the entire phone. They can make that opening precise, a precise opening, a precise fit. Whereas if you look at on the, the current, uh, at least I'm, I'm staring at an iPod Touch now. I guess I should have a look at the iPhone as well. The the hole for the dock connector is basically rectangular, but the dock connector itself is not rectangular. It has those little stair steps on the edges of it, and so it's kind of like this big gaping hole into which you put this thing that almost fills the hole, but not quite, because there's more little like, internal details that are that are received once it goes into there, and that is a kind of a sloppy feeling to me that it's not, it, you're not going to get that good, secure, thunk connection feeling with this big gaping hole with a small thing going into it. This With this connector, I feel like you could get that nice feeling of sliding whatever the heck it is they're going to come up with. Surely some proprietary thing that they can make sure licensees have to confirm with some sort of program so they can use this new connector. Uh, that You could get a good feeling out of that. And the fact that it's really narrow makes me think, uh, hey, 
serial. You know, you've got power, ground, data plus minus, four connectors. Like I look at that little connector and say, well, that's, you can't, what can you put? They're not going to put uh, 15 or 30 microscopic pins on there, are they? Wouldn't they just go with four big meaty contacts, kind of like plain old USB or not that they're going to use USB, but a similar, you know, physically a four connector, a four contact uh, connector using a serial interface. The, and the, the final thing, and the reason I asked about the screw holes is this, the title of this thing, MagSafe Mini, is the idea that this won't just be a standard connector. Instead, what it will be is a connector that uses magnets in some way to make that secure feeling. And this is something, you know, with the MagSafe that they have on all their portables now. For the most part, I think that feeling of connecting the MagSafe connector isn't a satisfying, expensive feeling. And yes, oh, you don't like that? Of, for the most part, I would say. Like, hmm. it, 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 certainly the benefit, like the actual benefit of the thing is that, you know, you trip over the cord, it doesn't take your whole computer down, at least in theory anyway. Uh, but with, with some computers, with like the, uh, the 11-inch air being so light, if you pull at the correct angle, I bet you can probably drag an 11-inch air along the table by the connector. But for the most part, when someone comes walking by or a kid trips over your cable, the MagSafe saves your bacon. So good thumbs up there. But I think also plugging it in, it feels good. That The place where it doesn't feel good to me is when you have the MagSafe connector in your hand and you're not looking, but you're kind of feeling around for where it goes in. That feeling around process involves the metal magnetic end of the power connector scraping along the aluminum side of your thing, trying to find that little rectangular shape hole before it snaps in. Uh, that's not a great feeling there. Probably not relevant to these devices because they're going to be up in your hand. Like you're not reaching around the side of something that you don't want to disturb because it's sitting on the on the, the table. You're going to pick the thing up, plug the cable in, and I think it would be good. And so those little dots reminded me kind of the little dots that are on, well, the little contacts that are inside a MagSafe connector. I'm like, well, what if, those little dots are for little magnetic, little magnetic nubs that align the thing. The guide to, holes to, to, or something. Yeah, to do that magnetic snap. Just not, not pins, but like little nubs or something. Kind of like the internal little contact <laughs> nubs on, on, on the actual MagSafe connector. Right. Uh, Pentalobe, the chat room, which I've observed, says that those little screws are called pentalobe screws. Five-pointed tamper-resistant screws. Oh yeah, tamper resistant means we'll just keep making new shapes that we hope you <laughs> don't no have, one will have a screwdriver. And then for. five minutes later, you know, you'll be able to buy that screwdriver from iFixit, and then the next model will have yet a different shape screw. And it's says, yeah, tamper resistant because we're, we're trying to keep trying to find a shape that you don't have a screwdriver for. It's like just just pick one shape because most people only have Phillips head and flathead. So anything else, you're, it's silly. Just <laughs> stick one. Make everything Torx. Regular people don't have Torx uh, screwed, you know, drivers. But it, people who want to open it will be able to let us buy the thing. All right, what do we have to say? What else do we have to say about this? this I case? think I think the MagSafe concept for this though makes a heck of a lot of sense. Well, you I don't know. know if it does though, because like magnets uh, are big and heavy, and where does the con- like that's a small connector down there? I don't know. Uh, well, they've got them on the the eleven inch air, you know, for the Thunderbolt connection and the power connection. I. I mean, is it adding no, that much there's weight? There's no magnets in the Thunderbolt connector, though. There aren't. Think, no, you're right. But just the power. Now, yeah. how, how long until do you think that they would do a magnet in a Thunderbolt connector? Because I've heard someone suggesting that they were going to do that, too. Yeah. I I don't know about the magnet thing. I I think the jury's still out on that. I, I think sliding a really good connector into a hole still has some benefits over a MagSafe thing especially for something like a, a dock connector type thing. I, I, but I, I could be, I could go either way on it. So one thing looking, we, you didn't mention 
is that in in these photographs uh, uh, on nine to five Mac, before we move on from this, they show a picture of a, the back of a black one and a white one. And it looks like the metal edge that is aluminum and colored aluminum on the current, uh, the current iPhones and on the white iPhone in this picture, it's black. It's really hard to tell. But yeah, no, guess- it's not hard to tell. It looks black. Yeah, but uh, the question is, is it metal all the way around or does the metal stop and then the material changes for the long straight runs up the sides? So you're saying that, that it could simply be the photograph itself that makes it look black, but in fact, it's, it's not uh, black. I, I think you're probably right that it's black. What I'm more interested in is whether it's metal all around oh. or whether the material changes. Because that's the thing about the back. The back of this, we're looking at it and, and like the story says and, and the picture doesn't look like I'm assuming that's not glass. That's what I was getting at before, like it, I not see. Being, it being glass. Uh, it looks like the back of it is something else, right? Like yes. It doesn't look like glass to you. No. And so then I'm wondering, okay, well, is is the if that's the case, maybe they don't have to use the external antenna anymore. Maybe that metal around the outside is purely decorative and the antenna mm-hmm. is behind a big plastic sheet covering the back. Or, you know, who knows what that is, whatever that material is. Maybe it's metal or, I mean, you wouldn't put the antenna behind a metal thing. I don't know. Some sort of radio transparent, sturdy material that's not glass. And then you can have an internal antenna behind that and not use the rim. I think the rim probably still is the antenna, though. Uh and you're right, it definitely looks like black metal on the black one, but yeah. it's hard to tell in these pictures. Uh, so this this thing here, which again, we should emphasize, is not necessarily, does not necessarily have anything to do with the next iPhone is, you know, think back to the wedge, everyone, please remember the wedge, which we, everyone discussed, you know, it, we're just, we're speculating here, right? These are rumors, but this phone here, this speculative phone fulfills most of the criteria Externally, you know, they're not showing the internals, whatever that I was talking about. It's it's thinner, uh, so it doesn't look quite as beefy. Uh, it's got the, the 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 dock connector situation resolved in some sort of way. It does all those things we were talking about with having a larger screen, but not making the phone larger simply by squishing up the areas above and below. Uh, it appears to have all the features you would expect. There's still a family resemblance. It's got the cameras. It's got the little circle shaped buttons for volume control on the side. You know, uh, the whole nine yards. So. As, as Marco said, I agree. I would be perfectly satisfied if Apple introduced a phone that looked like these supposed spy pictures here. Yeah. I, I, give, it, I give it a big thumbs up. I am obviously most excited about, not, not about the bigger screen, but about that new connector at the bottom. I would love to see the dock connector go away. I really, really hope this thing is real. And you will, you will get an iPhone if it's real. I will not. I will not. My wife keeps trying to tempt me. He's like, you know, now that I have an iPhone, you can get one for just fifty more dollars a month. I'm like, oh, that—that's all. Huh? Yeah, it's a bargain. All right, one la- one last topic here. Before no, that, let's do our final our final sponsor. Thanks very much to SourceBits Design Lead Engineering. I'm going to read you this quote, John. When you focus on, tell me if you agree with this. When you focus on brilliant design, your product becomes your marketing. Your customers become your advertising. I do agree. I agree also. And SourceBits, this is their fundamental philosophy. They have more than 500 applications that they've built for mobile, web, and desktop platforms. And they've had 20 of them reach top 10 in global application marketplaces. So what does that mean? It means that they understand how to apply their knowledge about brilliant design, about engineering, and to take your idea and turn it into a successful app in today's markets. And that's critical. You have an idea, you want to build an app, you want it to tie into a web backend, you want to have uh, something for Android, something for iOS. Maybe you just want a straight web application. They can do all of this, and they've done it before, and they know how to do it. They know how to build iOS apps. They know how to build Android apps. They know how to build Facebook applications. 
whatever it is, you can go to these guys and say, here's what I want to build. They can save you time. They can save you money and they can get your product to the market faster because they already have these development processes in place. They've already fine-tuned everything and they know how to communicate with you. They know how to involve you just enough in the process so that you don't ever feel left out. You feel like you know what's going on. You don't have to wonder, what are they doing back there? When are they going to show us something? No. So take advantage of their design-driven process. Bring your app to them and say, look, make this real. And they can do that. Go to sourcebits.com. Learn more. Thanks very much to them for making the show possible. All right, what's your final topic? The final word with John Syracuse. WWDC. WWDC. as some people call it. (laughs) But but not me. (laughs) Not, not, Not you. Yeah. So this week, Apple published the schedule for the sessions right. at WWDC, which they tend to do a week or two in advance. It's only visible to people who have registered for the conference, and I'm assuming all the contents are under NDA, so I can't read you off all the session titles or anything. Uh, but uh, Matt Panzerino wrote a story about this on the nextweb.com about the session schedule, and he his big takeaway from looking at the schedule is the same as mine and many other people's. It's the fact that a large number of little squares on the session grid say to be announced. Uh, it's always the case that there are some squares that say to be announced. It's usually the secret things that they don't want to tell you about. So, for example, if they're introducing the iPhone or I don't know, they never introduced the iPhone or WDC, but like if they're introducing some new product, they can't put the session title learning to program for the iPhone, because then you'll know that they're going to introduce an iPhone. So they always keep some of those hidden, right? The thing about this year is that there are way more to-be-announced squares on the schedule than there ever have been in my memory. Many people on the web tried to say, well, okay, well, can we go back and look at the actual schedules for previous years and just do a count so we don't just go like, well, my memory is that this seems like there's a lower number. It turns out very difficult to do that because once the keynote presentation takes place, all those to be announced change into session titles. And so even though I have like the WWC app from 2011 or people who can pull up the WWC 2011 schedule because they have it printed out or have it somewhere written down, it doesn't have the to be announced on it. You just have the, they're all filled in, right? So the TBAs are only there for maybe two weeks and then they disappear. And if the web and the web page showing those TBAs is usually you have to be logged into a developer account to get it. So you can't look on archive.org or something to find it. So no one has actual numbers, but uh, trust me when I tell you that in all these WC content schedules that I've seen, there are way more to be announced here. And and so one thing we can do is count them up. And uh, Matt came up with 42 TBA sessions. That's a big number, a big number. Like that's, I don't know what percentage of the entire schedule it is, but it's like the page is just covered with TBAs. And I think Gruber did a post about this uh but how a lot of those TBAs are in the biggest, most important main uh, conference room in the uh, in the conference center. Right. Uh, so it's not like these are going to be right. Uh, these are not the little minor. offshoot. You know, oh, somebody's talking about some open jail thing. They haven't. No, these are like the big venues. So obviously they're big topics. Yeah, I should actually. Why don't I pull this up? Even though I can't read it to you, I can pull it up and stare at it when I <laughs> while I'm looking at this stuff. Yeah. WC schedule. Now, I thought you said at one point that if something had been listed and posted publicly by somebody else, that the, at that point you felt okay reading it. Oh, that's why I was reading. I'm I'm going off his article, which I put in the show notes. About, I'm saying so. Then you can read them. 
Oh, did he did he post the titles of every single I session? I thought they were posted. Well, I mean, the, the titles aren't that like the titles that are in there that don't say TBA on them are the same titles that they have. Every, like the, the structure of WSC doesn't change too much, right? Uh, from year to year, so it's always like the TBAs. Now, I, as with the wedge, I think it's time uh, looking at these TBAs to at least address what could be the boring explanations for them. The, the obligatory innocuous reasons for a large number of TBAs. Right. The first one is that presentation preparation is running behind at Apple. And a lot of people don't have their sessions ready. They don't know what the titles are going to be. They don't have the descriptions. They're not even sure if they're going to be giving a thing or not, whether, whether they get it done. Right. So that's one explanation. They're just running behind this year. The second possible explanation is they just haven't made scheduling decisions. Everyone's sessions are ready to go. They know what the titles are. Some of the titles are secret, but a large number, they just haven't figured out who's going to go on what day and how they're going to reshuffle things. So the huge number of TBAs doesn't have anything to do with a huge number of super secret stuff. It's mostly to do with all oh, that. We just haven't figured out how the schedule is going to be and we'll, we'll figure it out in a couple of days or whatever. And some support for this is that every year at WWDC, there's some TBA session that becomes not TBA and you look at the description and it's like, you know, working with the mail server and Mac OS 10 server. And it's like, why was that a TBA? It's not, there's no secret information. It's not a new technology even. It's just a random session, right? So there are many possible innocuous reasons for these things to be TBA that have nothing to do with cool new stuff coming. But looking at these, people can't help but think that, oh, but this this has got to be something super secret, especially since so many TBAs are in the big room. Like, they don't know what's going to be in the big room. Those guys haven't gotten their act together. They can't decide. Are they fighting over who's going to be in the big room? Uh, so uh, this article on the next web gives some theories about what what could cause this many TBAs? And he's got a couple of guesses. Uh, I've seen these guesses elsewhere as well. One of them, of course, is Apple TV. Uh, this is among the most popular guesses because, you know, TV is the next thing that's looming over us. Just like, when are they going to make a tablet? When are they going to make a phone? You know, right. In other words, these these big sessions are based on some big secret announcement that, of course, they can't announce what the sessions are without the big announcement that would have to come first, which likely would be at the keynote. Right, and the TV is the next in line of the things that were that we expect from Apple because of all the noise about it. Uh, even though Apple says almost nothing, although uh, Tim Cook at the recent uh, All Things D conference gave more hints in the direction of television. So, like, there's a lot of smoke around TV. Does it mean that TV, anything related to TV is going to be announced at WWC? For the past few keynotes, everyone has thought, "Oh, it's going to be some TV thing," and there hasn't been. So, who knows? But I think the reason that TV keeps getting mentioned is that. If you're going to hide this number of sessions, what what could it possibly be about that would warrant this amount of sessions? Uh, it, things that warrant the most sessions are platform moves. Like now there is a new platform for you to develop for. And so you need a session all about developing for this. How to design a UI for your TV app. How to do a TV app development in Xcode. How to use the simulator to do the thing. The new APIs that are specific to the TV. A platform type move spawns many potential sessions more than say uh like you know retina screen max say those things come out right there's gonna be like one or two sessions about preparing your map for retina screens but it's not you're not going to have uh, 50 sessions on the topic because like it's kind of like when ios devices came out they got their whole own set of sessions and now most of the sessions are about ios things right adding a feature to the mac platform never could have spawned that number of of sessions so if the vast majority of these tbas are tba because they're secret it seems like some kind of platform move, whether it's the TV platform or you're going to be able to 
write applications for your wristwatch or God knows, you know, make up whatever you want. But Apple TV and the television OS supporting applications is uh, number one with the bullet among the people who think that these TBAs are all secret. Uh, Second likely option is the Siri API. Again, Tim Cook hinted strongly at that in his his All Things D interview this past week. where He said, oh, we're, we're definitely doing some interesting things with Siri. Stay tuned. Watch for it. Like something, whether it's an API or not, Siri features seem to be coming. And if it is an API, that's a reason to have a handful of sessions about integrating the Siri API into your application. Not not 42 of them, but certainly one or two sessions about the Siri API. The other thing to remember, sometimes they repeat these sessions since it is a multi-track conference after the first day. You can't may not be able to actually attend all the things you want. So sometimes they repeat them. So if you miss it this day, come see it the next day. So the Siri API is the type of thing where even if there's only one or two sessions, they may repeat one of them if they have room. Facebook integration. Uh, that's kind of like an OS level feature that's rumored. Now we're kind of getting into more of like rumors for the, the keynote announcements. Yeah. Uh, Tim Cook leaned heavily on, oh, we'd like to do more with Facebook. And uh, I forget what the exact quotes are. He, he was hinting strongly at the idea that Apple and Facebook uh, would become closer. And if it's an OS level feature, this probably like they'll probably expose it in some way through an API of like, hey, if you want people to sign into your application using Facebook Connect or be able to see the Facebook data or whatever. Like you could have a couple sessions on that. Uh, but I, I don't think that explains the huge number of them. Cross app communications on iOS again. I think this could, could add some sessions as well. We've talked a lot about how applications on iOS are very isolated from each other. And even though multitasking, the ability to go from one app to the other is sort of, you know, it's reasonable, but it's kind of limited by RAM. But what happens is that even though you can jump from one app to the other, you can't get the data from one app to the other because the straws through which they send their information to each other are so thin and so limited. We need some sort of, you know, OS supported brokering mechanism for passing information between applications so they can actually work together on the same problem. And a lot of this is rooted in the fact that iOS applications can only see documents within their own little section of the file system. So they can't reach into each other's areas and do stuff. So you need someone in the middle to say, all right, so you have two applications. You want to work on the same project with them. Where does that project live? It can't live in one application's little documents folder, and it can't live in the other application's documents folder. And we could try to keep it in both. It could live in iCloud, and we could talk through those APIs. But applications are, are some would say, needlessly isolated at this point, uh, communicating through custom URL protocols and all sorts of weird hacks that let them pass information to each other. So some some kind of API related to this would be good. And you know, Windows 8 has the... Was it contracts? I think, uh, and iAndroid has help me out chat room, the equivalent of contacts. I forget the chat room's not real time, so I have to stall here. Yeah, they, they there's a slight delay. It's unintentional and can't be avoided. Yeah, what is it in Android? It's not. It's uh, is it abilities? Uh, intents. There we go. Rootso got it for me. Uh, so Android has intents, and Apple has like nothing. <laughs> it has has the clipboard, and it has or the pasteboard if you're next guy. Uh, and it has uh, custom URL protocols and a few other limited things. Uh, someone in the chat room said services. Yeah. Uh, Mac OS X has services. That's one way that applications communicate with each other in services. But the Mac is sort of going the other direction where they're, the Mac apps are getting sandboxed and getting isolated from each other. And hopefully the iOS applications are going to be able to talk to each other in more ways, not fewer. Uh, so those are all good guesses if they're all like partly true like even if you just x out apple tv and just say okay well there's going to be siri api there's going to be facebook integration apis and there's going to be a new cross app communication api uh and of course ios 6 we're all assuming these would all be part of and they would be like oh preparing your app for ios 6 and then throw retina max in the mix 
maybe the sum of all those handfuls of two and three sessions adds up to 42 TBA sessions after you subtract out the ones that are just TBA because they haven't made scheduling decisions and stuff. Uh, but what, what this means for me basically is that I, I and I think almost everyone else are now much more excited about WWDC than we were because it was kind of like, well, you know, we know about Mountain Lion like so, they're not gonna like they're not gonna surprise us with some new version of Mac OS ten. Uh, no one expects of them to introduce any phone hardware because that's gonna be in the fall. So like whatever, uh, TV stuff. Yeah, we've been looking for TV forever, but it never actually comes. So like maybe they'll do Retina Max and they'll show us iOS six and then like whatever. But now with the schedule, you're like, well, they've got something crazy planned. Like forty two TBA sessions. What? Now people now suddenly the TV starts to look more likely and they start fantasizing about the things that it could be like. It can't be all of them. They can't have iOS 6, Retina Max, uh, a, a new television, a new television piece of hardware, new television apps like this. is too much. So now now we've, our hopes are going in the opposite direction. We're all going to be disappointed with something because you just you just physically cannot fit this many possible announcements into a single thing, uh, a single session. And in general, WWC is not a hardware reveal. So I would suspect that uh, we're not going to see new phone hardware. Like even if it has a taller right, they'll screen. do that in October, just like they did last year at their own event. Yeah, yeah this, but this gets tied up in the taller screen thing. Like we're just so tied up in like, why are we even talking about a taller screen? Why, why do we even think that's going to be? Because of these stupid rumors that, you know, Apple didn't say there's going to be a taller screen. In fact, Tim Cook just said, oh, I should have said this quote. Uh, he just said in the, in the all things D thing, and I tweeted it, but uh, lost the quote that one of the advantages of the Apple platform is they sell one phone, one size screen, and one resolution, something to that effect. Uh, and people flipped out about that because they're like, what are you doing, Tim? What does that mean? Is that, are you trying to damp expectations because you know there's all these rumors of a tall screen and you're trying to, and you're trying to tell people, look, Apple never said there's going to be a tall screen. Stop going nuts, guys. Is that what you're trying to do? Are you trying to tell us to like calm down? Uh, I don't know where you're getting this tall screen stuff from. If you but- look at our iOS, like iOS 5, it's amazing how many users are on the latest OS. Our Apple Store is simple and straightforward. We have one phone with one screen size and one resolution. It's pretty simple if you're developing for this platform. Which, by the way, as many people point out, is a lie because the 3GS does not have the same resolution as, <laughs> as the 4 or 4S. But whatever. Like, you know, we know what they're getting at. But like, but, but what does that mean? Does that mean that he's trying to convince us that they're not going to do it or is it the old style kind of like misdirect where they go currently what i'm going to tell you is factually correct <laughs> right after wwz who the hell knows what you know yeah like that that's and so that didn't help us it just it just amped people up like depending <laughs> on how you're feeling it's like you're just teasing me now because i don't know you know and it's all like we don't think you're gonna watch video on an ipod and blah blah you know nobody reads electronic books are bogus like the steve jobs style where you Steve Jobs would come down hard on the thing that he was about to introduce. Tim Cook just said a factually correct statement to confuse us. Uh, and so with the taller screen, if we assume for a moment that that, that uh, we will have a taller screen, we get back to the discussion we had in previous shows. So don't you have to prepare developers for that? And if you're going to prepare developers for that, shouldn't you do it at WWDC where you're talking to all the developers? But how the hell do you prepare developers if you're not willing to show them the phone? Do you just mention we're going to have a new phone and it's going to have a tall screen. You can't do that. That's like the world's worst tease. Like, can you imagine? They said, and here's iOS 6 and we're announcing that iOS 6 will support a taller screen resolution and we call this big tall mode. They're not going to use that word. And and, uh, we can't show you the phone yet. We're probably going to introduce it sometime later this year, but this conference will have a bunch of sessions on how to prepare your phone for big tall mode and the simulator, which still looks like the existing iPhone 4S, will also support big tall mode so you can, you know, 
that's a weird thing to do. So, like, do they not say a thing about a taller screen? Assume, again, assuming there is one. Or do they just say, we have to show you this phone because we need you to update your apps for it. Uh, and even though it's not going to be ready for a long time, uh, here's what it looks like. Isn't it cool? We'll have it in like a, a, a clear plexiglass cylinder outside for you to fawn over. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Like, no, there is no obvious answer to what they're going to do here. Uh, because almost all of the obvious things that you think they should do run right in the face of Apple secrecy. And again, Tim Cook being inscrutable said Apple is doubling down on secrecy in his interview at all things. The Apple is doubling down on product secrecy. He said they want them to be more transparent as a corporation in terms of their functioning and, and their compliance with environmental laws and labor laws and stuff like that. And talk to the public more frequently and more transparently about that. But about products, he said, we are doubling down on secrecy. Like that's that's like the NSA saying they're gonna they're gonna start taking secrecy seriously from now on. <laughs> How much more secret can you possibly get? You're gonna be executing people for leaking? Like what? I don't know what uh, what that means, but it certainly means that all of the solutions that involve Apple being less secretive and therefore making it easier to predict what their announcements are going to be at WWDC, like say them telling us they're going to have a phone but not showing it to us, or them showing us the phone but it's not going to ship for a long time, those all do not fit with them being secretive. They just want to come out and say, and here's the phone, and it's done, and it's awesome. Uh, the final option, I guess, is that the phone is actually ready. They show the phone hardware, and it'll ship in a couple months, like, ready-ish, right? Uh, and then that fits in with their schedule. But, jeez, I, I really have no idea, but I'm very excited about it. Oh, and, and the final weird thing about the schedule, which has been pointed out in many stories, is that the Apple Design Awards, where they give Apple gives awards to people who make excellent Mac applications and iOS applications. Uh, Apple judges these awards, by the way. It's not a democracy. Nobody votes. You nominate. Uh, applications can be nominated by anybody, and then Apple decides what they think are the, the best ones. Uh, those Design Awards have typically been in the middle of the week and at night, uh, and instead they've been moved to the end of the day on the first day of the conference. And the first day of the conference is single track. So there's no competing sessions. You just uh, have the keynote in the morning and then you have technical session. And at the end of the day, you have the Apple design awards, which is very weird. Why is that? Uh, why? I mean, for, for those people who haven't been going every year, I've been to the evening things. Why is that so weird? It's just not what they've always done. And like, maybe they no, do it in the beginning so that the, you can spend the whole week you know, admiring those who have won the award. It gives them more time to sort of party. They can walk around with their award and show it to people all day, every day, yeah, bring like it to the sessions with them and set it on their chair. Like a, like a big clock. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's a, the thing about it, it's weird kind of because no one was making Apple put the ADAs where they were. Right. And so, and it's, if their idea was we really want, we think the ADAs are important because they're the way that we encourage the kind of behavior we want in the developer community. Basically, Apple rewards people who do what they want. Like if they're if they're if they're emphasizing a new API or a particular way of writing applications, they will reward the people who embody that ideal to encourage other developers to do the same thing. Uh, and moving it up in the schedule to a session that basically everyone will attend because they have nothing else to do. There's no other competing sessions uh, except for labs and stuff. Uh, that's increasing the emphasis on the ADAs. But they could have increased the emphasis on the ADA years ago. It's not like a sudden revelation that the ADAs are important. I mean, maybe it's a Tim Cook thing where they want to emphasize it. My my dark fantasy scenario is they move up the ADAs because after the first day of the conference, part of the keynote is that they're dissolving the Apple developer program. <laughs> and so this is, you know, we got to get the ADAs out of the way because they've got all these TBAs because now... We are dissolving the Apple developer program. If you would like to be an Apple developer, you may have send us an application and we will decide. You know, that's silly. 
that, that is a silly dark fantasy. But like, you know, it's like uh, <laughs> it, uh, I, I was almost going to make a prequels reference, but I will. Well, that's not actually it's not really a prequels reference. It's a New Hope reference. It's like the Emperor <laughs> dissolving the Senate. <laughs> which is referenced in, in the new hope. So there, I feel solid, more solid about my, uh, my pop culture reference where they have <laughs> got to have the ADAs because the next day the developer program is done. I hope you enjoy your awards. Now the dark range. I don't, I don't think that's a valid. They, they could do them anytime they want. They wouldn't, they, they're not going to, first of all, they're not going to dissolve no, it. But it's a silly, you know, but like, but uh, you're so giving it, people crazy ideas. It's not. I'm. <laughs> you're I, dangerous. Was, you're a dangerous influence. That it was a dark fantasy. Uh, but <laughs> so you know, the obvious reason they moved them up is they're increasing the emphasis on the ADAs. They wanted to have more developers attending uh, and to be taken more seriously, not by the public because the public is gone. Like the, the press covers the keynote that's open to the public, but the ADAs are part of the NDA portion of the session. So the only people who are allowed to even attend are people who, who are, have tickets, right? But since the ADAs were later in the week and had competing stuff and were like later at night and people just didn't want to be there anymore sometimes, it's not that they weren't well attended, but a lot of people missed them and didn't even realize they missed them. They're like, oh, like last year, I, I missed half of the ADAs because I didn't, hadn't even realized they'd started. Because you're like the middle of the week, the end of a day, you're pretty fried from information overload. And you're like, oh, I didn't even know they were starting. Where Everyone is, is going to know that it's gonna have to be a conscious choice to miss the ADAs, uh, and you know, as I think Ruber pointed out, that room is bigger uh, on the fir- in the first day because they have uh, partitions they add to it later, so they can fit everybody in there as many people as they can fit in the keynote. We'll be able to attend the ADAs, and that will give them a higher profile as well. So I'm pretty excited for WWDC. I don't know what to expect. You're right on the edge. You don't know what comes next. Uh, what the hell is that from? What is it from? <laughs> you tweet that all the time. Only when I mean it. Yeah, but like you got to you got have to express that feeling using a different set of words. I think it's perfect. But what is it from? Is it just you made that up yourself? No, I didn't f- make that up. It's a line from a great movie. And that movie is. Pe- is when- Wait, do you want me to really say it? Come on. There has to be some magic left in the world. Well, I could Google it, I guess, but I haven't. Like, why don't you just tell us the movie? I'll tell, I'll tell you in the after dark. Oh, such a secret. All right. What else you got? Looks like you're out of links. Yeah, I stopped. I had some stuff on this Windows 8 business, but I think I'm going to save that. And for the past two shows, I've decided I'm not going to jinx myself by talking about the length of the shows. And if I end early, I do. Last week, I blew it. But this week, I think I nailed it. Huh? <laughs> yeah. 140. One, we're going to be out of here in one hour and 40 minutes. You did good. So I'm going to put a cap on it. This is my new strategy. Don't <laughs> jinx it by saying anything. Put a cap on. Yeah. All right. <laughs> is that is that it? Are we done? We're done. All right. up, man. So everybody can go and, and uh, follow along with these show notes that we have. Uh, 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 70. 70 of these things in a can. Uh, you can, uh, of course, see all the other shows that we do. And I want to, I, I, a, a couple people have gotten on me saying, you're not promoting the nickel enough. The nickel is this great show. You're not, shame on you, Dan, for not promoting it. I said, I don't, you know, I don't want too much cross promotion, but uh, it is a great show. And I'd love to, for more people to find out about it. Uh, so if you're a little bit interested in sports, if you're a geek and you're a little bit interested in sports, please check out the nickel, 5x5.tv slash the nickel. It's a great show. Uh, that uh, friend of mine, Will Carroll, who does a lot of work with Sports Illustrated, is doing. So go check that out uh, at 5x5.tv slash nickel. And uh, rate this show on iTunes, of course. That really does help. It keeps it up 
showing up in the in lists over there on the iTunes, which is how a lot of people find it. And we would like to say thanks very much to those who have already done that. Uh, it really does help. So uh, but that's it. John Syracusa, over and out. He's on Twitter, Syracusa, S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A, no Z. And I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter, and we thank you very much for listening, and have a great week. Thank you.